morning, everyone. My name is Yumiko. I'm one of the pastors at High Rock Brookline Church. I'm so glad you're here today to worship with us and so excited that we can continue our sermon series on Exodus. Last week, we have read Exodus 14, truly a magnificent passage, just when the Israelites thought they were surrounded by the enemies and they had no way out. They realized it was actually the enemy of God. The Pharaoh's army was the one surrounded by God, and they were the one who did not have a way out, but the Israelites witnessed God's deliverance. A great passage. Today's song, the victory song that Brother David has just read for us, is described the celebration happens right after this deliverance. It is equally a grand passage. But let me tell you, to be honest, I'm not sure if it's appropriate for me to say this, but it is a hard passage for me to preach. And I've spent a lot of time reading over and over of this text in the last few weeks. And I even tried different translations. I, I read it over and over. And I, just, I don't know why. Maybe just because I was incapable of appreciating the beauty of poetry or maybe because the Red Sea didn't part in front of my eyes. I don't know why, but I just could not get in a mood of celebration. I'm like, I understand an intellectual level. This is awesome. This is great. But it just it was a hard passage for me to, yes, um, which is sad because I completely agree with everything Moses said and sang in this song. Yes, God triumphs. Yes, it's amazing that a God had taken the enemy down and sank them down to the bottom of the ocean, and a God had delivered and brought them out, the Israelites, out from the water to the safe land. And I see that this was a significant moment for the Israelites and the people of God. After 430 years of slavery... They were finally free. The parting scene marked the birth of the nation and the people of God. And this song depicts this beautiful act by God's people. It's quite obvious why this song is considered as one of the best hymns in the book of, entire actually book of the Old Testament and a Bible. So the problem is obviously not in a text. It's really, and I mean it, it's really me, right? I think the reason why I'm having a hard time getting excited about such an exciting text, I think it's because I just don't celebrate well in general in my life. For example, when I graduated from college in Japan, I did not go to my commencement because it's over. I'm thinking about next step. Why do I go? I almost didn't walk at my seminary graduation. I don't do birthday parties well. When I get married someday, I'm not even sure if I will have wedding party afterwards. Um, you see, whenever I hit those life significant moments, to me, there's always next thing to do. There's another place to get to, next steps to take. When I um, finished the school, I was thinking about the school. I was thinking about the moves. I was like, oh, I don't have time for this celebration. Why do I go? And when I get married someday, honestly, my guess is I don't think my mind is going to be on the food you're going to have to eat or the songs you're going to dance. I'm going to be thinking what's coming afterwards. 
saying. It's been a while. It's been, we've been long, waiting for a long time. <laughs> but whatever the occasion is, there's usually always this feeling that it's not just I'm busy getting to the next place, but also it doesn't feel like it's not time to celebrate yet. I always think, well, I will celebrate maybe when I get ordained. But when you get to the next goal, then there's always more things and next place to get to, and I find no time to celebrate at the end. And I have a feeling that I might not be the only one who's feeling this way. You probably have taken a lot more pictures than I ever did in your, in your commencement, and you probably throw better birthday parties than I ever do. But let's face it. You and I, we're all in Boston for one reason or another. And what do people in Boston do? Yes, who was this brilliant person who is in, my, in sync with me? <laughs> yes, people in Boston, we work hard. We might not cheer for Red Sox, we might not like Patriots, but we work hard. This is who we are. We work incredibly hard, constantly, for whatever the ambitions we may have. Uh, many of us moved here so that we can advance in our life, in our, care, in our career, in our job, and in our education. Many of us are always going after better and bigger things constantly. You left your home to go to a better school or maybe to get another advanced degree. And as soon as you finish your schooling or even before you finish your schooling, you have to figure out what's your next step and you have to kind of start running towards the next goal. You put everything on hold until you publish that one article, or maybe until you pass that board exam, until you get this job and you figure this out. But you probably experienced this, right? As soon as you get this goal, there's so many more places for you to get to. And I didn't even talk about other parts of your life. I didn't talk about your family. I didn't talk about your finance. I didn't talk about faith. And I think a lot of us, probably want some version of life like um, the one with the meaningful career, loving family, stable finance, and a thriving relationship with God, and hopefully not in an order, this order of importance. Uh, now, some of you may have figured out the life well, and you have your life under control. You're listening to me and thinking, I'm not, I'm, yeah, that's just, I'm doing great. I'm getting to the goals. I'm knocking down all these goals even though it consumes all my hours and work. And you feel like you're achieving all these goals, no problem. If that's you, go ahead. Go ahead and rest for the next 20 minutes, because I think you need that more than listening to what I'm about to say. <laughs> for the rest of us who actually eats normally and three meals a day and sleeps normal hours, let's say this is where you want to get to. Let's say over that window in a blue, Sag off. That's what it says. The far window. Let's say that's where you want to get to. That's the place where all your goals are achieved and where all your dreams come true. Whether that is uh, getting to the program, passing the board exam, or having a perfect career, meeting the right person, saving up enough to buy a house, or maybe finally seeing your friends and family coming to Christ. Or maybe your goals and dreams are a little bit more communal, like being a part of a thriving faith community or seeing the racial justice advancing in Brookline, or maybe you want them all, then you're talking about a place somewhere beyond that window. It's far away. There are a lot of things. Maybe you want them all. 
That's where you're marching to. That's where you're dedicating your life to. That's why you work hard, and that's where you're heading to. That's your promised land. But you're over here. And you're working hard, trying to inch your way towards these goals that you want, towards the goals that you dream of. You're working hard. You're putting in so much work. And how is that journey going? Are you enjoying this journey as much as you would imagine you would enjoy the life in the promised land? Or this process feels more like hunkering down, heads down, crawling through the trenches. And you just dream of the one day when you settle into this promised land, all your dreams and goals achieved. I know what it feels like to me um, High client is in the middle of the discernment process right now. And for me, I feel like we're in a deep in the trenches right now. When we began this process in January, I was excited. You see, we had this ambition, right? We had this great goal that we wanted to High Rock Brookline to become something else, something more. Moved by the Holy Spirit, led by Jesus, I dreamed that our church's vision come directly from God, not from somebody's head, not from the staff meeting, not from the board meeting, not from the membership, comes directly from God. And we will be like a church that we read in a book of Acts. I was so excited. It's crazy. It's almost an attainable goal. But that was my promised land. So I started, I started joining this pro, uh, the journey all excited. And after two and a half months, I'm tired. I survived in Boston for the last 15 years. I can work hard. The amount of work doesn't sway me. I don't, I don't need to sleep. I can, I can do that. But I think that my initial excitement slowly replaced with this skepticism. Are we really going to be able to hear God's voice as a community? And what really gets me is it's the progress that we're making. It seems not enough for us to get to a place where we want to get to. At the last discernment retreat about a week ago, the discernment team spent all day praying to God and listening to each other and talking to each other. And I walked away from that retreat feeling just a little disappointed. And it's not the content of what we discussed. It's not the people there. But I think it's because I imagine this experience of listening to God, the experience of discernment in a community would feel a lot more dynamic so clear, so definitive, and it's so exciting. But in reality, the process is very slow, and things are a lot less clear, and it is definitely not as dramatic as I imagined. So after putting so much work and people working so hard with amazing people pouring their times and hearts and a prayer, not seeing much of progress, and having a little bit of this disappointment, it almost makes me want to throw in a towel. I don't know that's how you feel about this discernment process. And 
I hope not. I hope I'm the only one who feels <laughs> this way. But I wonder if the similar feeling is what you have about your promised land and a journey towards the promised land. You've made a vow to build your marriage on Christ. And you dreamed of this Christ-centered, life-giving marriage. You work hard on your relationship with your spouse. You've read all the Christian books. You've tried to read the Bible together. You even asked this married couple who's amazing to be your mentor couple so you guys meet up and get some tips about how you, how you marry well. You put a lot of work. And your marriage is going fine. It's fine. It's fine. A bit stale. But it's fine. But when you look at the marriage you wanted, and the marriage you have, they seem quite far apart, even after you're putting so much work towards it. You wanted to be a part of this Christian community where you can continue to grow. You'll be constantly challenged. You'll be transformed by people's testimony and the knowledge of the Bible. And you thought you're going to get this amazing, amazing set of friends and disciples and like the ones that Jesus and his friends had. You thought that's the community you're going to be part of. But instead, maybe you feel like your spiritual growth is stunted. Your daily devotion is like a chore, so you don't have to feel embarrassed when you have to share it in your small group. Sunday service feels like a routine. Friends at a church, yeah, they're great. They're great. They're, they're good. It's not, not like what Jesus and his disciples, but they're good. You still desire the promised land, but looking at where you are and looking at where your promised land is, this distance between those two are very obvious to you. And it seems like so far away, even though you put so much work already and you have almost nothing more to give, you feel like you're not getting closer. And you just started to wonder, maybe that's just how life is. Maybe that's the reality. Maybe this is where I'm going to have to settle. And you may feel tired. You may feel a little bit disappointed. You may feel stuck. You know who else worked really, really hard? Probably harder than many of us here. And we're on a journey towards the promised land and not making that much of progress. It's the people of Israel at the Red Sea. Let's not be fooled by this joyful singing of Moses here. If you think about it, this people of Israel who are singing this song, they're not in a good shape. As Pharaoh's slave, they spent long years under the oppression. They were forced to work all of their lives, harder than anybody else. And their spirits and their body were definitely beaten down by this unreasonable demand by the Pharaoh. And as if that wasn't enough, um, this Moses guy came up from nowhere. And he just started to the, do things. And before they knew it, they, have to, they, have to, they, they were driven away from Egypt in such a hurry, such a hurry that they didn't even have time to eat properly. 
And the, the following journey wasn't easy as well. 600,000 men and their family, about 2.4 million people or more, are on their foot with all their possessions, all their possessions, with their cows and sheep and everything. They are on their foot, on their back, and they're marching towards this long journey. I mean, you thought, the f- you thought when we have family services a bit chaotic? Try walk with 2.4 million people, with kids and elders and all these people, with animals in every position you have. It's a chaos, stressful, and exhausting journey that they're on. And then it wasn't all. And then this pharaoh decided he was going to kill them all. And just when they thought they were going to all die in a very dramatic turn of event, God delivered them out from the peril. Quite a journey. It's so exhausting even just talking about it, but this is just a beginning of the long journey that they have to take. And that's not all. Now that they destroy the Pharaoh's army, there is no turning back. The bridge is burned. It's down in the bottom of the ocean. You have to keep marching on. What awaits ahead of them is a whole new set of uncertainties and challenges. And as a matter of fact, if you keep reading on the passage, you find this passage about people having a really hard time finding a drinking water, which comes right after this celebration. Safe drinking water pretty basic needs and that's just one of the first thing that they have to deal with and many many more challenges to come speaking of overwhelmed exhausted people who are on very 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 long and seemingly impossible journey it was the Israelites at the Red Sea but that's not what we see in this text is it what we hear from them is not a song of blues, but it is a song of praise, celebration, and the victory hymn. We see the Israelites celebrating right then and right there when they witnessed God's deliverance, when they saw what God has done. They didn't put their celebration on hold until they figure out the next step, until they get to the next million steps. They were not distracted by that. And they, need, they, they were not at the promised land yet. But for them, it was a time to celebrate. God, at that time, had shattered the chain of slavery completely and claimed the people of Israelite, Israel as God's people. Their identities were no longer slaves, but God's people. And as they stood together as the God's people, the people of God at the shore of Red Sea, and watched God's deliverance, the grumbling ceased. The song of praise rose from the mouth of people. The very first act as God's people, right, rightly fitting to their new identity, was to sing a song of praise to God in one united voice. See, celebration is a communal act. The Israelites celebrated God as a community. 
But their celebration was not about themselves. It wasn't about their achievement. It wasn't about their longing. It wasn't about their victory. But it was all of our God. The object and the subject of celebration is God and God only. Moses' songs are filled with all about God and what God has done and what who God says. The song had no room for I did this and we did that. The song is filled with you, 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 God. You did this and you did that. The subject of the praise in this song literally is always you, God. You, your right hand Your right hand shatters the enemy. Your right hand overthrows the enemy. You triumph. You save. You're strong. You're holy. You're mighty. You redeem us. You save us. And you will reign forever and ever. You, God, you did this. And this God is the same God we sing our praise to today. This God is the same God we worship today. And it's the same God who redeemed you and me. It is the same God who brought me out from the lack of from from the dark place and to the life with God. When I was far away, unseemingly far, impossibly far away, God brought me back to the life with God. So we celebrate what God has done, and who God is. God freed a slave. God is just. God saved us. God is mighty. God redeemed us. God is love. Celebrate what God has done and who God is, and celebrate whenever and as soon as when you witness what God has done in God's work. Celebrate now. These are the two lessons we learn from the today's text. And it sounds simple enough, but I think for some of us, it's probably hard for us to celebrate now. Oh, maybe it is. Let me ask you. In the last week, uh, when was the moment you celebrated God? Did you celebrate God in your life? If your answer was yes, great. Right after the service, I'm going to go downstairs to Soul Food, sit at the table, and share your praise with other people. Share your praise with the people that you meet today and back home and family and friends. But if your answer was no, why is that? Why did you not celebrate God? Maybe because some of you are in a place where you see no reason at all to celebrate. All you can say is a prayer of lament and a plea. As we prayed earlier in the service this week, 50 people of Muslim faith was killed in their houses of worship. For their friends and families and for the Muslim communities around the world, It is not time to celebrate. It is time to mourn. It is time to lament. And maybe that's where you are too. And maybe you're wondering, celebrate. Where is God in this world? How do I celebrate? 
or maybe you're in a great pain, physically, emotionally, or even relationally. Maybe you're hopeless about your future. Maybe you feel stuck in your life, in your career, or even in your walk with God. Wherever you are, the first thing I want you to do is to be still. To be still in God's presence. In the midst of wars and threats and a panic and despair, Moses told God's people to be still. The Lord will fight for you. You will only need to be still. And so they did. In the same way, I encourage you to stay still in your pain, in your lament, in your sorrow, in your exhaustion, and even in your question. Wait upon the Lord for however long it may take until you see God's deliverance. The Israelite celebration did not come out of nowhere, but it began with being still in God's presence. And when they saw God's mighty work, that's when they celebrated. They celebrated right then, right there. So when you see God's work in your life, don't wait till the whole story concludes. Don't wait till you have time to write it down nice and tidy. Just celebrate then. Celebrate what you see in God's work. It might not be the best way that you can describe. It might not be the best form. Celebrate right then, right there. And when you praise for God for what God has done and who God is, stay focused. Stay focused on God, not on you, not on your thoughts, not on your reflection, not on your feeling, on God. The Song of Moses was filled with you statements, you God, God you did this, God you are, God you did. And these you statements wasn't just a random nice assortment of positive thing about God that you kind of feel like that could be right. It was a statement about what God has done. And it was a time-tested truth, which you will find in your Bible, and you will find in your walk with the Lord. We celebrate, as a, we celebrate as a response to God's work, and we also celebrate to remember what God has done, who God is, and what, go, what God calls us to be. Because it's important to remember. Remember is one of the most common words used in a psalm, the book of Psalm. The one of the most common acts in the Old Testament is commemoration, the act of remembrance. The Old Testament records the journey, uh, people's journey beyond the promised land. Even after they reach the promised land, their journey continues. It's a story the whole entire book of Old Testament is a story of people's longing and waiting for the Savior. And actually, the book doesn't have a conclusion. They don't actually get to see the book of Jesus at the end of Old Testament. They didn't know how long the wait was. The wait was also hard. For many times in the history of Israel and the book of Old Test- books of Old Testament, we see the hope disappearing. The prospect is just not good. Surely people were tired, disheartened by the lack of progress, and even doubted if Messiah would ever come to them. And that's why 
it was important for them to remember. Remember what God has done, who God is, what God, what God calls them to, so that they could journey on, so that they could continue wait upon the Lord. The Israelites celebrated the fact that God had already been and was with them, even though Messiah hasn't come yet. So today, to end this time, I want, our, I want this community to practice celebrating God's work already done, even though whole process, the work, God's work is not completed yet. I've shared earlier a little bit about this sermon retreat, and we had met um, about three times in the last two and a half months, and um, in, the, in those retreats, there's always two group of people, the discernment team and the prayer team. The discernment team is called to discern God's will regarding High Rock Brooklyn's future and called to make a proposal to High Rock Brooklyn members by the end of this month. Prayer team is called to pray for the discernment team and pray to listen to God's voice. The, um, I am part of the discernment team, and personally, I am, as I said, losing steam. I'm discouraged. But you will hear a different account from uh, the prayer team today. Um, Michelle from the uh, prayer team will share who God is and what God has done that she has witnessed in this process. So I'm going to invite Michelle and the praise team to the front. And after she shares, we're going to all sing doxology together. My name is Michelle, and I attended two of the discernment prayer retreats as part of the prayer team praying over the overseers as they prayed for the church. I believe in the power of prayer and intercession. I believe in a living God who speaks, who is actively communicating, who honors when we set aside time and space to seek him. And I believe that the times our church has dedicated to seeking God's will, whether that is in corporate worship and learning on Sundays, in individual prayer through the discernment journal, in small groups in our ohanas, or in other forms. I believe that the time we dedicate is not only about the result, but about the way the process shapes us as a community. This is what I heard and experienced during the prayer retreats. During my time praying for the discernment team, I recognized the lavish generosity of God in the process we have been allowed as a church to sit in his presence and ask for his word. It is generosity and grace that gives us time over several months to receive, examine, and gather around what we have heard from God, to be inspired by the word and each other. Lavish generosity gives us the creativity to think about our church in ways that are radical and countercultural to the ways we understand institutional structures and what feels familiar or safe or the most logical. In prayer, I was reminded that this time we are given can and should be a joyful time in that the ability to meet with God directly is a thing to celebrate, a thing of joy and relationship. So one theme that I prayed for the discernment team was not only resilience and protection against spiritual attack, but also an abundance of joy throughout the process. A word God gave me during last week's prayer retreat was Psalm 103, verse 5. You satisfy my desires with good things. Some translations say, you satisfy my mouth with good things, or you fill with good my soul. As someone who serves with soul food and as someone who loves to eat, I was reminded of the ways we are fed by our faith, by the daily bread we pray for in the Lord's Prayer, and by Jesus as the bread of life, and by the goodness and generosity of the Father. 
The opportunity that I had to pray during the discernment retreat synthesized the lived reality of my experiences with the word of God, providing the space and time to recognize his work in my life and in the life of our church. The lavish generosity of God is here, and it also requires something of us. We must listen attentively to understand this generosity, to look for it and recognize it in the small and large ways throughout the week. As the discernment process continues, and I as a member of the congregation move with the church towards determining our next steps, God has used this time to remind me of his provision, goodness, and generosity towards us because of his great love. Thank you. As we heard from Michelle, God is at work in this community, even though the discernment process is not completed yet. Even when the process is completed and done, we still have a long journey ahead to become a community God calls us to be. Lots more work ahead of us, sisters and brothers, and it won't be easy. And beyond, even beyond our little discernment, our own discernment process, the world around us reminds us constantly that God is at work. God's work is not completed yet. There are so many evidences of injustice and evil in this world and hatred destroying people's lives. But today we heard the testimony about God's work. So we respond to God by celebrating what God has done and who God is. We may not be in a mood of celebration. Our hearts may not be rejoicing. But by singing this doxology, as a community, we proclaim God is at work, and that gives, us, that gives us hope to keep pressing on for what God calls us to be. Would you please all stand and join us, join us in a celebration?